0: Okay, guys, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, first thing I'm gonna do is show the map where they were. They were in Shechem, and, and, uh, uh, that's here. They were in Shechem. This is a little bit different spelling. And then God called them to leave Shechem because of the experience that happened with his daughter Dinah, and he was afraid, and his sons wiped out that entire town. Now, what's interesting about that, in several hundred years from, from this event, when, when his sons killed everyone in that town, when Joshua comes into the land, when Joshua comes into the land through Jericho, he is going to end up conquering every city, but that city, Shechem, he did not have to conquer because the people that were living in the, in the city at that time immediately left because they already acknowledged that that city had already been conquered by, by, by the Hebrews through that incident where his two sons killed everybody in that city. So that's an interesting thing. And then God told him to move to Bethel, and that's where he moved to Bethel. And just so that you get a perspective, the distance between Ai and Bethel is about one to two miles. It's very close. So this is, you you know, we're not talking about really far distances here. So something like this is is about 20 miles or something you know, maybe 20 miles from Shechem to Bethel. And so he spent about eight years in Shechem. He spent about two years in Bethel. And then we're going to start reading about how he's going to move from Bethel down past Jerusalem into Bethlehem, uh, into the Bethlehem region right here. And I want you to notice this. On this map, Jerusalem is in Benjamin. And that is correct. You'll see on this map here, uh, uh, here's the the tribe of benjamin and jerusalem is right on the border and it really is jerusalem is actually not buried within the the central part of benjamin jerusalem is right at the border between benjamin and 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 judah and and that's significant because the old city where the temple is built is built just on the benjamin side but if you go just a little bit south of where the temple is that's built on the judean side so when David actually set things up, he had that temple and he had his home just, just above, like where the bottom of that letter A is relative to, to that city. And, and, uh, he had his home built right into the Benjamin side because it was really trying to, to garner the favor of the Benjaminites because the Benjaminites were particularly against David because he had taken over from Saul, who was a Benjaminite. And, and David already had the Judeans from Judah on his side. So that, that's just some, that just gives a, a, a kind of a location of where we are and, and what's happening here. Alright, so I'm gonna, gonna stop sharing. Well, oh, let me point out one other thing because we're gonna be talking about it, is that, is that we're gonna see the, the, the pillar and the grave of, the grave of, uh, um his, his wife, uh, uh as, as, as we're gonna be talking about it, that, uh, uh, we're going to see this grave of Rachel. And this grave of Rachel, if you go to Israel today, they will show you the pillar of Rachel in her grave. And they'll say it's just outside Bethlehem. But it is not. That cannot be correct. It has to be in Benjamin. So he was on his way. He was on his way from Bethel down to Bethlehem when Rachel gives birth to, to uh, Benjamin and she dies And it's just outside here. It's in Benjamin because we know from several verses in 1 Samuel and in Jeremiah that the grave was in Benjamin and not in Judah. And also when the children of Israel were being taken up into captivity way up here uh, 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 by Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, they had to pass through and they saw the grave of Rachel, the pillar of Rachel, and it says as one weeping. It was north they were going north as they were marching, and that was in Benjamin. They didn't march south around Bethlehem and then then up. And it also says as as they were looking for as Saul was looking for um, looking for for the prophet Benjamin, uh, I, I'm sorry, the prophet Samuel. As Saul was looking for him, it says in 1 Samuel chapter ten, verse two, that that uh, he was right here near Ramah. So this is where the grave is going to be. So with that, I'll stop sharing the screen. And we'll go into the teaching now. All right. So before I, before I move on, I want to mention something that starting next week, there's going to be a new Zoom link. I will, I will mark that Zoom link on my website, jmtour.com. It'll also be marked on the Facebook page and it'll also be marked on drjamestour.com. Uh, and so you, you'll have several links to that, but it'll be a, a link that'll have a password buried within the link. So as long as you have the link uh, uh, it'll be clear. But the password the will be r- right in there. I believe the password's just going to be James Tour, all one word. It's just that even though if you publish the password, it's just that that password gets embedded in the link and it's harder for Zoom bots, these automatic bots, to come in and to bother you once you have that password. So there'll be a new Zoom link starting next week. Okay, so let's start reading then. And we're going to pick this up in verse 8. Of chapter 35 of Genesis. Genesis chapter 35, verse 8. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the oak. It was named Alan Bakuth. So this is Deborah. So Deborah now dies. Deborah was Re- Rebekah's nurse. Who was Rebekah? That was Jacob's mother. So that tells us that Jacob's mother probably died while Jacob was gone for 20 years. So remember, Jacob was 20 years in Paddan Aram, living with Laban. And during that time, he acquired four wives and he built up a huge, huge, massive uh, area of wealth for him in cattle. And then he spent uh, eight years in Shechem and and he's on his way down from Shechem to Bethel when Deborah, Rebecca's nurse. So this is his mother's nurse. So she came to live with him. Well, why would she come to live with him? We are not told, but remember she was his mother's nurse from the time that his mother came from Padan Aram to marry his father Isaac. So that nurse probably raised Jacob. That nurse probably held him and raised him and, and helped to take care of him. And he took care of her. She's dying. Her age is probably about 160 years old at this point. And he takes care of her. She had obviously moved from where, where, uh, um, where Isaac was living down near, down near Hebron, which is not far from Bethlehem where we had just seen on the map. And uh, um, she had gone to live with Jacob. Jacob was taking care of her. Jacob was taking care of the elderly. We have an obligation to take care of the elderly. This is we are obliged to do this. This was his mother's nurse, the woman who had helped to raise him. He took this on to to take care of her in her old age because his father was was even older than her, more than 160 years old. So so uh, um, so she dies, and and uh, um, and so you you see that that. Um, uh, he takes care of her, and he has her buried. So there's this obligation that we have to the elderly. It's interesting. Some people say they, they question, how did Christianity get so big? How did Christianity start consuming so much of the world population? And what happened was, if you talk to to uh, um, to both theologians and you talk to demographers, it is because the Christians. From the first century, so from the first century, it went from being just a handful of a few men to being a massive worldwide religion in 200 years. And how did this happen? And most demographers and theologians will agree that it happened because the Christians were taking care of the infirmed, and they were they were taking care of the poor. They were taking care of the poor and the infirmed. And when they did that, the church just exploded. Israel had failed in a lot of their their uh, their tasking to in order to do that. The Romans didn't care at all about the infirmed and the poor and the children. And Christians started taking care of them. And when we take care of the elderly, when we take care of the children, when we take care of the infirmed, then we really start to grow. This is where the growth is. We take care of people. Uh, I've heard big pastors at big churches here in town, they say, never let a natural disaster go to waste. During times of natural disaster is when your church should be mobilized in taking care of people and helping them. This is what we do. And when we do this, there is great growth. He took care of the elderly. We had skipped that verse last time. And then last time we covered 9 through 12 when God appears to him as he comes down into Bethel. And then let's pick it up in verse 13 of Genesis chapter 35. Then God went up from him into the place where he had spoken to him. Jacob set up a pillar in a place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. You, were, you might remember when Jacob was first leaving his ta- his his. his Leaving for Paran Aram, 30 years earlier than this, he passes exactly through that same spot. He sets up an altar exactly where he'd set up a stone altar in that spot 30 years earlier. He had poured oil on that altar 30 years earlier. The only difference he made at this point was he, he poured, he poured out a drink offering on it. Because probably when he was traveling to Paran Aram the first time, he didn't have a drink offering to pour on it. Now we pick it up again. So Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel, which means the house of God. And in fact, it had already been called Bethel and further up, he says, this is the God of the house of God. So again, he's underscoring. This is the place where he met God, the house of God. Let's pick it up from verse 16. Then he journeyed from Bethel and he went. And while there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and she suffered severe labor. When she was in severe labor, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for now you have another son. And it came about as her soul was departing, for she died, that she named him Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And so Benoni means the son of my sorrow, Benjamin means the son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a pillar over her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Okay, so in verse 16, it says he was tra- traveling now from Bethel. He lived in Bethel for about two years. Now he's traveling south to go near, very near to where his father lives in Hebron. Hebron is very close to Bethlehem, uh, probably just a couple miles from Bethlehem. And so he, as he's traveling it says there was still some distance to go. So he wasn't yet at Bethlehem. Ephrath is right next to Bethlehem. Ephrath is like, uh, uh, if I could put it in the terms of Houston, it's, it's like West University and Houston. I mean, they're just right next to each other. And, and uh, uh, you, you might remember Ephrath, this is, this is uh, talked about from Micah 5.2. Uh, where, where is where's the Messiah going to come from? He's going to come from Bethlehem, Ephrath. This is the same Ephrath they're talking about. It was like a dual city right there. They were on their way. There was still some distance. And that's why if you go today to Israel, there will be guides that will say that pillar of Rachel right there, that's where she's buried. That's not where she's buried. That has been set up later. That is just outside Bethlehem. They weren't near Bethlehem. And we know this from the very portions that I told you from 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 2. That the, the pillar, the grave was right there in Ramah in Benjamin, which is north of Jerusalem, not south of Jerusalem. And then again in Jeremiah thirty one, fifteen, you see this that the children of Israel, when they were taking into captivity, they went from Jerusalem north, and they saw the grave, the pillar of Rachel. But uh so so she she's giving birth, and while she's giving birth, she has a severe labor, and and uh she gives birth to, to Benjamin. Well, she called him Benoni, which means the son of my sorrow. So she knows that she's dying and she calls him the son of my sorrow. And after she dies, then, uh, uh, then, then, uh, Jacob says, no, I'm not going to call him the son of my sorrow. I'm going to call him the son of my right hand, Benjamin. Now, why would she call him Benoni? Well, I mean, she's dying in the process. And I and I sort of chalk this up to Job chapter 6, verse 26. There's a great verse in Job 6, 26. It says, the words of those who are in despair belong to the wind. The words of those who are in despair belong to the wind. You know, when you're in despair, when you're going through real troubles, sometimes you say things and... And uh, it's really good that, that, that people don't hold us accountable for all those things that we say sometimes when we're frustrated. The words of those in despair belong to the wind. This is really a good thing to remember. That sometimes people might get angry and they might say something to you. You don't want to hold on to that for the rest of your life. You don't want to keep thinking about that for the rest of your life. The words of those in despair belong to the wind. Just let it go. Let it pass. Who of us... Who among us has not said things that we regret when we've been frustrated, when we've been angry? Who among us has not said many things that we regret? Let us be merciful toward others. The words of those in despair belong to the wind, Job 6.26. She was in despair. So he let these things pass and uh, um, and he names him Benjamin, which is a much better name. And then in verse 19, so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Beth, Bethlehem. So not in Ephrath, but on the way to Ephrath. They were quite some distance. It's, it says in 16, verse 16. And they were going along this typical route, which is uh, along this, this mountain edge, the, ed- the edge top of the mountain all the way across that, that runs all the way from the region that's going to be Ephraim, all the way down through Jerusalem, passed all the way down to Bethlehem. It's still a common route today. And, and so she, was di- she died she, and she was buried. It says, it says in verse 21 Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. The Tower of Eder is right in Bethlehem Ephrath. It's right there, and you can read about that in Micah 4 8. It makes reference to that. Edir is right there. In that in just right by Bethlehem. So he's right in Bethlehem. He's near to to Hebron, near where his his father is by the Oaks of Mamre. And uh, he doesn't get that close. And it may be because the sustenance, the land. Now, what would happen is this whole land is covered by city states. And those city states who belong to the Canaanites, they would claim land around the cities and that land around the cities is where they would they would they would uh, graze their cattle, and these these uh, um, nomads could not come close. That was claimed by the city, so they had to go to the uh, further out. And so we're going to see, for example, in chapter thirty-six of Genesis, verse seven, it talks about how how Esau separated from Jacob, and it says in verse 7 of chapter 36, for their property had become too great for them to live together, and the land where they had, they sojourned could not sustain them because of their livestock. So these children, so Jacob, Esau, and probably their father Isaac, you couldn't get too close because the land couldn't sustain them because they had to go to these regions between the cities that the city-states didn't claim. Secondly, the land couldn't sustain them. They had so much cattle, and you saw the same thing between Lot and Abraham. They had to separate because their cattle were just so many. So here it says it says that, that he journeyed to Eder, which is very close now to where his father is living. You could you could walk in in certainly within an uh, uh, an hour you could walk to where his father was living. Certainly two hours you could walk to where his father's living. Uh, and then in verse 22, this is what we want to focus on today. Verse 22. It came about while Israel was dwelling in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. So here, now we start seeing in verse 21 and 22 that we start seeing over and over again that Jacob is going to be called Israel by his new name. Not exclusively, but primarily he's going to be called by his new name, which is, which is Israel. And it says, it came about while Israel was dwelling in the land that Reuben... Now, who was Reuben? That was his oldest son. That was his oldest son. And that was his oldest son by Leah, the maid... The, uh, not by Leah, by Leah. Yes, by Leah. So, so Leah had... And it tells us right down in verse 23, Leah had these six sons. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. So Reuben was his firstborn son. Who did his firstborn son go and sleep with? His firstborn son went and slept with Bilhah, which if you look down in verse 25, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maid. That was Rachel's maid. So Rachel dies. And remember, these two maids had also become, they were called concubines, but they had also in several places, they're called Jacob's wives because he took them as his wives. They bore him children. So this is the the wife. This is the mother of two of his half-brothers. Bilhah is Rachel's maid. Bilhah is Rachel's maid. And Reuben sleeps with Rachel's maid. That's one of his father's wives. And you say, you know, wow, that's really bad. Yeah, it is. And you see the same thing. The same thing is mentioned actually in the New Testament. In the New Testament... Um, uh, you, you see, you see the same thing in first Corinthians chapter five, verse one, it says, Paul writes, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such a kind is not, does not even exist among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. So you see that you, you see that uh, uh, there is this, this that he went and he slept with one of his father's wives. Now, this is an amazing thing. And you see this family. This isn't a family that is being anointed by God. And many times you will see godly families where there can be real trouble. Now, Reuben was his firstborn son. Now, some people think that maybe Reuben intentionally slept with her to sleep with the concubines could mean that you're trying to usurp authority. This is what Absalom did with David when he tried to usurp King David's authority David's own son Absalom went and intentionally slept with David's concubines, uh, when, while he was trying to usurp authority. But, um, uh, so, so you see that, that, um, here it's very specifically says that, that, uh, he went, and it doesn't say that he forced her to do this. We don't know. We do know earlier on when Dinah was taken that it says that, that, uh, uh, Shechem had laid with her by force. By force. He had forced himself upon her. We don't know exactly what's going on here, but I want you to see this, that Reuben ends up sleeping with his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Israel heard of it, but he said nothing. But this is later Later on, there's going to be a curse put upon him in Genesis chapter 49. So if you go to Genesis chapter 49, you will see in, in uh, verse 3, Genesis chapter 49 verse 3, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uncontrollable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. So while Jacob is on his deathbed and giving over his sons, the prophecies that are going to take place, and every one of these took place, What you see here is that he says, you're, you were preeminent. You had, you had the birthright. You had the blessing and you're losing it. You're losing now the birthright. The birthright is going to be shifted now because of you, because of what you have done. And you're going to lose out on the blessing. This didn't come until many decades later. And this is often what happens is that when you fall into this type of immorality, that there are consequences many decades later that that come and so what I want to do is I want to focus particularly on this type of thing you say well why would you focus in on this because this is a huge problem in the church a huge problem I know many men that have fallen into adultery I've known many men that have fallen into adultery Christian men fall into adultery yeah Christian men fall into adultery And this is why I'm going to spend a few minutes focusing on this. And let's see what the scriptures say about this. And because I want to put before you a warning, this is both for men and for women, a warning on how we should live our lives and how vigilant we have to be to protect ourselves from this. How vigilant. If you stand there, if you sit there and you say, well, this would never happen to me. You are all the more likely to have this happen to you. It is better, far better to say, Lord, prevent this from ever happening to me. Lord, prevent this from happening in my marriage. Lord, protect my home, protect my marriage, protect my life. That's what you want to be saying. Not, oh, this couldn't happen to me. If you think that, oh, this couldn't happen to you, you are all the more susceptible. So let's look at what the scriptures have to say about this, because the scriptures have to say a lot. I want to turn to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5, we're going to start reading at verse 7. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7. And it's talking about, in in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7, it mentions an adulteress. But if you you have a study Bible, it uses the word adulteress for meaning a strange woman or a foreign woman. So it could be a strange woman or a foreign woman. It is not just a married woman. That is the way it is translated into English. But it could be a strange woman or a foreign foreign woman. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7. Now then, my son, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you will groan at your final end. When your flesh and body are consumed and you say how I have hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. So this is what I'm instructing you today. I'm taking this time to warn you this day. When you are in marriage and even before you are in marriage, this is not just for married people. You protect yourself from this. This is what the scriptures talk about is immorality, and it destroys lives. It just destroys lives. I have known many men, things going very well for them. And they fall into this and their world comes collapsing down, collapsing down. And it is not always the fault of, a, of, of the strange woman. No, it is often the fault of the man going after this woman. It says, Now then in verse seven, now then my son. My sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. You see God instructing us. Listen to me. This is important. Listen up. You think that this can't happen to you? It can happen to you. Listen up. Listen to what I'm saying. Because if you fall into adultery one day, I, I hope that this message comes zinging right through to your hearts, To say, I was warned. I was warned. I remember that warning that I got through that instruction, through that Zoom call. And I pray that just through this, you would remember and you'd run away from it before you fall into this. He says, you keep your way far from her in verse eight. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. You know what that means? It means you don't go near the door of her house. You don't go near the door of her house. If you know where she you don't go near that door. Very often it happens because somebody, well, we'll just, I'm, I'm just going to meet with her. You know, there, there, there's nothing physical here. We're just going to talk. You know, she's kind of a needy young lady. You know, I just, no, this is all a lie. You got a wife who's needy. You take care of your wife. That's for, that's not for you to be taking care of some other needy woman. He says you keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Do not go near it. Nobody wakes up in the morning and just as well, I think I'll, I'll commit adultery today. Nobody does that. This is something that s- slowly comes up on people because of one step after another after another. He says, he, he says, or give, he says, don't go near the, the door of her house or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. You will lose so much in life. You will lose so much of your position. You will lose your standing. You will lose your respect. And I have seen it over and over again. People who are precious. Precious men, that they lose everything because of this. Their lives get destroyed because of this. Don't do it. There is the, here is your warning. He says, you'll give your years to others. You'll give your strength. to the, Strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will end up in the house of an alien and you'll groan at your final end. How does that sound? Does that sound pleasant? That's what will happen if you fall into adultery. There are women that fall into adultery. You don't go near them, th- that man's house. You don't go near it. Keep away, far from it. You say, "Well, you know, this is an isolated scripture." Okay. So what we're going to do is, is, is we're going to, we're going to turn over now to Proverbs chapter six. Proverbs chapter six. Let's let's start reading. um, Proverbs chapter six. Let's start reading at verse twenty. Proverbs chapter six, verse twenty. My son, observe my. Observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Okay, so what he's establishing here, he says, I've got a treasure for you. And that's what I'm imploring you with today. I have a treasure for you. Hold on to this. Don't let this thing go. Don't ruin your life because of this thing. Hold on to this teaching. Hold on to it. Reuben destroyed his life, destroyed his future because of this. Lost so much because of doing this. Don't lose it. Don't lose it. You don't go near the door of her house. And then now let's start reading. In verse 24, to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. You see, it starts with your heart. It's not that, it's not that a woman walks up to you and say, I think I'll commit adultery today. No, it starts in your heart. You're thinking about that woman over and over and over again, thinking about her all the time. He says, you don't desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For an account of a harlot, one is relu- in verse 25, do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. One is reduced to a loaf of bread on account of a harlot. You do this, you'll go from being top CEO to being nothing. You'll be like a loaf of bread if you fall into this. And I have seen it. I've seen pastors just fall and just lose everything. I've seen men in the workplace lose everything. Lose their jobs. Lose their futures. Lose great things that they could have had. Because of this. This is why I warn you it so emphatically. If you think it can not happen to you, you're the very person that it can happen to. Say, my Lord, please protect me and deliver me from this evil. He says in, in verse 27 of Proverbs chapter 6. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? And the answer is no. The answer to both of those is no. So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. You touch The woman who is not yours, who is not your wife, you will not go unpunished. If you think, oh, well, I'm not married, so it doesn't really matter. It marries a lot. It matters a lot. You will not go unpunished. This is a very strong word that the scriptures have to us. You think about this. If you touch that person, if you touch that woman, if you touch that man, you will not go unpunished. God is the one who promises that. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and and thinking, God is going to punish me. God is going to punish me. He will see to it that his word takes place. Verse 32 of Proverbs chapter 6. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find and his reproach will not be blotted out. People will always look at you differently. They will always look at you differently. Your reproach will not be blotted out. Wounds and disgrace you will find. I am warning you now. You think, that oh, well, that's another interesting verse. Now let's turn over to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. He hits us again with this. It's like left, right, and then left hook. I mean, just boom. My son, keep my words. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your finger, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend, that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. You see the heart of a father appealing to his son. I don't want you to fall into this. You see God's heart here. This is God's appealing to you. He says, I don't want you to fall into this. You take my word and you make it the treasure of your heart or else you're going to fall into this. And then then he tells us a story. He tells us a story. He says in verse six, he's going to tell us a story. For at the window of my house, I looked out my lattice and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense passing through the street near her corner and he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night and in darkness. Okay, so he says, you know, there's just a young guy and he's naive and he's lacking sense. Don't be naive in these things. He's naive and he's lacking sense. So what does this young, young man do? He went near the door of her house. Something he had just told us, don't go near the door of her house. He said, well, what's, what's What's wrong with just going near the... the, the it's not committing adultery to go near the door of her house. You know where she lives? Stay away. Stay away from there. That's what he warns you. He says, stay away. He, his problem was he lacked since he went near the door of her house. Verse 10, and behold, a woman comes out to meet him. Well, duh, because he went right near the door of her house. You stand in front of somebody's door, you're going to see them. Don't say, wow, God just brought her in my life. No, you were standing outside her door. That's why she was there. And behold, a woman comes out to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares. She lurks by every corner. She seizes him and kisses him. And with brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Look at this. She's a Christian. I was due to offer peace offerings. I paid my vows today. I went to church today. I I I you know I I took Mass today. This is what she says. You can't just say, well, she's a Christian, so don't worry, it'll be all right. She's a Christian, she just needs to be ministered to. She's just kind of confused right now. No, you're confused. You follow the word of God. You don't go near the door of her house. Don't do it. Don't don't go near the door of her house. And then she says in verse 15. Therefore, I came out to meet you to seek your present presence earnestly, and I have found you. You came out to meet me?, wow, you, 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 think, you think I'm pretty good, huh? Perceptive. You, know, you think I'm pretty good. You know because my wife, you know, she's just just always complaining about me, and you think I'm pretty good. Hey, this is kind of nice. It's kind of nice to have a woman thinking I'm pretty good. I have spread my couch with coverings with colored linings of Egypt. I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. When somebody starts talking about their bed, run, run. I have seen this very sort of thing where somebody starts talking about what the room is like, what their bed is like. Run. This is the sign. It's it's described for us. I have seen this sort of thing. One day, I, I went to to pick up my daughters from a from a um, from a friend's house, and and uh, as and I had never been to that house before. And Sharina dropped her off. I went to pick her up, and uh, um, the mother of this friend said, "Come in!" And I came in, and the kid, my daughter was little at the time. This is my oldest daughter. She was probably only about four years old at this time. And I remember, I said, "This is a nice place. You got this corner." At the end of this dead end, you got all the feels. She said, come here, let me show you. And then she says, come here. And then she took me into her bedroom. And that was very strange and very uncomfortable. And her bed wasn't even made. And, and most women don't want you to see their bedroom, especially when the bed is not made. <clears throat> and I felt very uncomfortable. And I got my daughter and I just left. And I never went back to that house. And about a year later, <clears throat> that woman had left her husband and had gone to live with another man. And it didn't surprise me with that woman. She started talking about her couch. Then she says, verse 18, Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey, and he has taken a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With her many persuasions, she entices him, and with her flattering lips, she seduces him. Young men... When a woman starts flattering you, saying, wow, you're you're strong. You're funny. Wow, you're fun to be with. Be careful. Be careful. Because you can easily be drawn into a place that is not pleasant. When a young man, women, when a young man starts flattering you, be careful. Be careful. It could be all a setup. This is what he's talking about. Then he says... <clears throat> Verse 22, suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces his liver as a bird hastens to the snare so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her. Where does it start? It starts in your heart. Don't let your heart turn aside to her. Women, don't let your heart turn aside to this young man that starts flattering you. It starts with your heart turning aside. Long before you ever go near the room, it starts with your heart turning aside. If you find yourself continually thinking about this person, if this is not of God, you break this thing off immediately. If it is of God, there are ways to discern if this is of God. You can share this with godly people whom you respect and get their opinion on this relationship get their opinion. If this is something that God has for you in marriage, but I'll tell you, if that other person is married, it's not something that God has for you. He says, do not let your heart turn aside to her. Do not stray into her path. For many are the victims she has cast down and numerous are her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. And I have seen so many people get caught up in these things and destroy lives. This is what I'm trying to protect you from. This is what the word of God is trying to protect you from. Jesus is the way for us. Jesus has deliverance for us. I don't care what your past is. There's deliverance in Jesus. If you have fallen into this, you come before Jesus and you ask him to forgive you and it will be forgiven. If you don't know Jesus, there is no power over this. You can't. You are powerless over this. The Bible says if you don't know Jesus, you are a slave to sin. The only way to be free of this is to know Him. I urge you to know Jesus, to invite Him into your heart. And I would like to have a personal time with you by Zoom. We will set it up. You send me an email to tour at rice.edu. We will set up a Zoom meeting just between us. And I will share with you the gospel and let Jesus come into your heart. And there and there only can there be power over this. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word, for the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, for the the people on this call, that you would keep them from adultery, you would keep them from immoral relationships, and they would remember your word, that it starts in the heart. They start thinking and dwelling about on these things. And that they would be very cautious using these signs that you have given us, that it starts in the heart. And then comes flattery where they start praising. Father, that they would run and they would never go near the door of the house. Lord, protect them, I pray. Protect these young people from these sorts of relationships. Father, for those that are in their pride think that this could never happen to them. Bring humility upon them. Protect their marriages and protect their lives, I pray. Lord, protect marriages, I pray. Father, I pray that young men that are listening would never think themselves so godly, never think themselves to be so godly that this could not happen to them. But they would cry out and say, Lord, deliver me from this evil. Deliver me and protect me. Father, that you would protect the homes that are represented here. Protect the children that are represented by those homes. Lord, protect those marriages. Protect the women. Father, I pray for the unmarried women on this call that they would not succumb to this. But Father, that their lives would be dedicated to you. Thank you, Lord, for the warning that you have given us through your scriptures over and over again. Father, I pray that you protect these young people and that when temptation comes upon them, that they would remember this teaching and they would remember to walk with you. And Lord, I commit this to you. And Father, I pray for the lost here, those who do not know you, that this very day they would reach out to me. They'd send me an email and we could get together and I share the word of God with them. Father, that you would bring salvation into lives this day, I pray. And I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.